Welcome to Fridge Trap by Shrek. I'm your host, and today we're going to be talking about A Love Bazaar from Sheila E. in Romance 1600. Uh, recorded January 1985 at Cheshire Sound in uh, Georgia and released on the 26th of August 1985. On the track you have Prince, Sheila E., Susie Davis, uh, Juan Escovedo, uh, I believe his name is, mm. uh, and Eddie M. Uh, playing the saxophone. Uh, of course, Eddie M., I think still to this day, is with Sheila E. as, as her sax- as like her <laughs> saxophonist. Um, so, you know, obviously he found a steady paying gig there. Um, the track uh, in its original form is 12 minutes 18. Um, and I'm not going to bore you with all the different <laughs> running times for the many different edits. Uh, but this is another one of those where, you know, Prince, uh, he, like the single was issued as an edit and then the B-side was the rest of the song. Mm. Um, you know, and, you know, there's a few there's a few kind of live performances um, that, that were also on like VHS and various other things like that, where it's, you know, the song's roughly kind of like 10 minutes long, you know. And obviously when, when on tour with Prince, um, Sheila E would perform this song and they would add it into, you know, medleys of other songs um you know in particular on the the love sexy tour there were a few times where you know they, they would go into the main kind of horn line from the love bazaar um so yeah so you know the prince is ba- the song is the song is basically any length from 12 minutes 18 down uh, you know play as much of it as you want and call it a song uh, joining me to talk about today is zachary hoskins hello zachary hey uh you know for a genre i think i think we're kind of safe in saying just pop song you know like prince you know obviously he tried a number of different times to launch various proteges uh, I would say that, you know, after Apollonia 6, um, you know, like and, and Vanity 6, I would say that Sheila E is probably the earliest of his kind of projects like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, you know, after this, you have, you know, Sheena Easton and you've got Jill Jones. Uh, and then you've also got, you know, later on Carmen Electra and, you know, Tamar. And, <laughs> uh, and you know, of course, uh, Maite got an album as well. Uh, I'm sure if Manuela had been willing, she could have had her own <laughs> right. solo project. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but I don't, I don't think that interested her, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, basically, kind of any, any, you know, any kind of, you know, woman, um, you know, uh, who came into Prince's orbit ended up being some kind of protege for him, and he would, you know, record an album of songs and they would sing over the top of them, and you know, that that was kind of the, uh, you know, the the basic kind of, uh, you know, the way that things worked with Prince. Um, but in this, in this case, you. You know, Sheila, uh, Sheila E had, uh, well, she had pedigree due to the fact that her father was, you know, a well-known percussionist. Right. Um, and, you know, she had sung the, the vocals with Prince on Erotic City. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that point on, Prince was like, you know, let's, I mean, he was he was almost like, uh, you know, uh, Justin Timberlake in uh, in the social network saying, you know, drop the the where he walked in and he was like, get rid of the Escovedo, you know, like just <laughs> Sheila E. It's a lot cleaner. And uh, and so, you know, that is how she became known. Even to this day, she's known as Sheila E. But right, it's, right. It's rare that, rare that people even, I mean, even Carmen Electra to this day is known as Carmen Electra. So, you know, <laughs> Prince had sticks, this. yeah. Apollonia, she's still Apollonia. Well, this is it. Prince had this power to, you know, up until the death, vanity was vanity, you know. <laughs> Prince had this power to rename people and you know they they it would kind of stick um you know obviously the glamorous life was the first you know kind of uh, the first album that um, that prince recorded with um you know with Sheila Ree. um and then after that he did um romance 1600 and then you know she finally had an album named after herself <laughs> um you know finally Sheila E was just in Sheila E um, you know, which was kind of like the, the, the last of the, the output that she did, um, you know, until 2013. I think she took like a, 
in like a 15 year break or something from recording <laughs> albums uh, and of course to, for all of these albums Prince contributed you know a number of songs um, I like the fact as well that for her first two albums Sheila E is billed as Sheila E in like right that's, it's like it's a movie yeah yeah and I, I, I kind of like that because it like it means that her first two albums it's Sheila E in The Grammar's Life and Sheila E in Romance 1600 <laughs> like it's as if those are films or something like there's the, the, it's, it's, it's such a weird kind of way to build stuff um, but at the same time, you know, I really kind of like that. That's like that's. I guess that's maybe what made her stand out a little bit. That and the fact that she is a supremely talented person. Like, um, you know, kind of not. I mean, you know, a lot of Prince's proteges were kind of interchangeable and a bit right. more anonymous. Whereas I think Sheila E stood out. You know, it's very rare that you find you know a woman who is carting a drum kit around and <laughs> you know is always is always seen with a couple of snares and and some cowbells in front of her, no matter what the occasion. Yeah. Um, so, so so I you know I always like that that was her gimmick. Is like whenever you see her perform, she will always eventually walk over to the this this pair of snares with a couple of cowbells and just start doing some you know some fills. Right. Um, you know, no matter what the song, no matter what the occasion, you know, I'm sure people invite her to a dinner party she just wanders over to the corner and just starts playing a couple of snares and, and hitting the cowbell because that like that was her gimmick um you know that and being and you know she is like if you look at like kind of all the the kind of the stuff that from like 84 85 there's a bit of the kind of big hair stuff from the 80s mm. on kind of uh, on the glamorous life and then her hair's a little bit shorter on on um on romance 1600 but she still kind of has that kind of uh, you know 80s british new romantic look <laughs> yeah which, I think had taken a little while to get to America. Like I think by the time you got to like 1986, 1985, most of the new romantics had cut their hair and they were all wearing <laughs> sensible suits and they'd kind of embraced like yuppie culture. Right. Whereas, you know, I think people finally got like Spandau Ballet and Depeche Mode albums in yeah. like 1983 <laughs> and they, you know, and of course Flock of Seagulls, you know, say no more. Right. Um, you know, so all of that kind of gradually filtered over and I think there's a little bit of that being, like it's rare that Prince would kind of, you know, take from other people, but with the kind of the stuff that's going on with Romance 1600 and, you know, in the video for, um, uh, you know, for A Love Bizarre as well, like it does, it does feel a little bit like they're kind of stealing some of the stuff from like early 80s new romantics. And even really Purple Rain, you know, like the the way that the yeah. revolution looked during that period uh, with the Edwardian clothes and the ruffles and the big hair, it, it really is. And you look at the, um, you look at First Avenue um, in those, those shots uh, in Purple Rain of the crowd in First Avenue, which I have on pretty good authority is not what crowds in First Avenue actually looked like. It looks like, you know, <laughs> crowds at uh, at the Blitz in London, you know, but he t- he decided to kind of like take that and, 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 and make his make his hometown look uh, maybe a little bit. A- a little bit more uh, avant-garde. Yeah, I'm going to be severely disappointed if I ever go to First Avenue and I walk in there and there's not a bunch of people with frilly <laughs> shirts on and, and big hair. and Yeah, the, the Adam Ant-looking guy with the cheekbones <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it does, it, yeah, that crowd feels really cast. Like, they, it's, it's like, you know, I, I think people use the phrase central casting to mean kind of bland. Right. But in this case, you know, in 1984, central casting meant everybody had gigantic ruffles and big hair. Um, and that, like, like that is what, but yeah, like it does feel a little bit like First Avenue is Prince's idea of what he would want his crowd to be. Right. Like a little bit more kind of hip than it probably was in right. Minneapolis <laughs> in 1983. Um, but yeah, so, she, you know, that that's kind of that's kind of where Sheila E kind of came from. You know, she 
She was the daughter of uh, Pete Escovedo, who, you know, was a well-known percussionist. You know, her other brothers were also percussionists. You know, it ran in the family. You know, it's kind of in the in the DNA. Apparently, she was playing drums from the age of five. Mm. Um, you know, she was from California. She wasn't from, like, Minneapolis. Um, but obviously, you know, through, um, I think, Andre, Andre Simone, um, you know, she met Prince in, like, 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they worked together for, you know, most of the 80s. You know, once... Um, once Prince decided to leave the revolution in Japan and, you know, never speak to them again, uh, <laughs> she ended up as like the, the touring drummer. Right. Um, you know, there's obviously a memorable part of the, uh, the sign of the times concert film where, um, you know, they, they, they swap where, where, she, where, you know, for, um, for, it's going to be a beautiful night where, you know, she's, she's doing like Prince kind of comes on and does like a little drum thing while she's doing the, the kind of the rap, um, you know, so like he kind of runs up onto the stage and she kind of just gradually walks down and uh, kind of starts starts singing, um, you know. So and then and then after, you know, after kind of, uh, you know, the 80s, she didn't really work with Prince in the 90s. Um, you know, she would occasionally kind of tour with Prince here and there, um, you know, but but then, you know, once once the 2000s came on, you know, for musicology in 3121 and, and you know, Planet Earth, she, you know, she was touring with Prince and she played on some of those um, albums as well. And then also, you know, at the I remember it well, the February 2006 uh, Brit Awards where she was performing with Wendy mm. and Lisa. Mm. Um, and uh, I didn't even know Prince was going to be there. Apparently, the uh, the people who arranged the Brit Awards didn't know Prince was going to be there because <laughs> uh, he just kind of turned up the day before and started rehearsing for like 15 minutes and then was like, yeah, I'll play that on stage. And then all of a sudden he was he was performing at the, the thing. Um, you know, and, and you know, from that point on, you know, Prince kind of on and off, you know, performed with Sheila Reed for you know most of the two thousands, um, and then kind of from two thousand ten onwards, she was on tour with him, um, and you know, the last time she played with him was in two thousand eleven. Um, but it's not like they ever like fell out or anything, you know, like they they stayed on really good terms from like nineteen seventy eight all the way up until his death, um, which I feel is like a, a rarity in. Um, <laughs> it's got to be in, one of the yeah they had to have had one of the longest like uninterrupted uh stretches uh, of of you know reasonably reasonably good terms <laughs> yeah. out of any I, I i can't think of anybody who has been as sort of consistently maybe maybe somebody like maybe kirk johnson would be yeah would be the the the, the next closest. i would i would say also eric leeds you know eric leeds worked with prince from you know, like 86 all the way through to, I mean, he wasn't on some of the records, you know, the last couple of records that he played right. on, but Eric Leeds was certainly friendly with Prince, you know, up until these last couple of years on tour, you know, there was still points where he would occasionally make guest appearances when Prince mm. was kind of, you know, near uh, where Eric Leeds was. So yeah, I'd say between like Eric Leeds, Kirk Johnson and, uh, and Sheila E, those are probably the only people who kind of, you know, played with him consistently for decades. Right. Uh, everybody else seemed to kind of burn out, maybe, or yeah. <laughs> you know, there was there was some other reason why Prince didn't want to play with them anymore. But yeah, so you know, and obviously then Prince kind of almost you know he he recorded at least um, I think on each on the first couple of albums at least three or four tracks, um, and then um, you know for the, her final album I think he only did two songs. So you know the fact that Prince recorded about ten eleven songs for Sheila Ree, you know that's possibly more than anybody else you know right. in terms of like other than if if you're counting third eye girl as like a separate group which you know i'm really not but if you did he, he probably only did maybe more songs for them than anybody else and that's pretty much it like sheila e is one of the people who probably got the most amount of contributions from prince uh you know towards her own back catalog mm-hmm. um you know and you know i think uh, as well you know um you know she is she is exceptionally talented like she's she like 
not only is she a great kind of uh, you know great percussionist, which I think is the thing that lifts most of her work above some of the other stuff. Right. You know the fact that Prince is kind of like everything is kind of swathed in in you know synthesizers and drum machines and all that kind of stuff. But then on top of that, Sheila E adds kind of like a slightly more human touch by actually providing percussion. Right. And, yeah, I mean, a, a, actually, a love bazaar you know, wouldn't be as as great as it is for twelve minutes if. If yeah, she wasn't playing percussion on it. <laughs> yeah, that I think I think that's the, that's the thing that kind of ele- and pretty much like most of the stuff that Prince recorded with her, that's the thing that kind of elevates it a little bit. It isn't just Minneapolis sound, right. and then she's the vocalist. It's Minneapolis sound, she's the vocalist, but also you have this percussion, and also you you know you have Eddie M playing the saxophone. You know, Prince mm-hmm. obviously had used Eddie M on um, on Around the World in the Day before. You know. Eric Leeds came along in Atlanta Bliss. So, you know, the addition as well of horns, of not just having, you know, synthesized horns, but actual horns, I feel like that also kind of elevates some of this stuff as well. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, that's the thing I think that kind of makes the stuff with Sheila E kind of stand out, whereas a lot of the other stuff that Prince did with, you know, his, uh, you know, his various different protégés, it does just feel like Prince recorded everything and right. then had them come in and sing over the top. <laughs> right. That, you know, that is, the, and, and I, I feel like that's the kind of thing that maybe why some people never kind of really bought into a lot of Prince's protégés is because <laughs> it just felt like Prince, you know, recording everything except the vocals and then just having people come in who were maybe, let's say, lesser vocalists than him. Yeah. <laughs> record vocals in place of, you know, a great vocalist. Right. And, you know, that's, that, I guess that's maybe the, the why it was a hard sell in terms of like a lot of those different protégés in the 80s. It's because like, you know, why would we want to listen to <laughs> to someone, you know, who is, you know, who's who's not Prince, sing a Prince song. Like, right. It it just feels like what what is the motivation for that? Whereas with the Sheila E stuff, it's always well, you know, here is here is a Prince song, but Sheila E has elevated it by adding not only her vocals. Uh, although I'll say on a Love Bizarre, you, you it kind of I don't know. I get maybe it's just because I'm so used to hearing Prince's voice. It, you know, you can really hear Prince on this track more was, than probably. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say it's it's pretty much like it he could have put it on his own album uh just as easily you know because you have yeah. uh sheena easton is on uh you got the look you know very audibly jill jones is on a lot of his a lot of his tracks uh wendy and lisa you can hear their voices so i i mean honestly this this could have easily gone on parade uh instead of uh instead of romance 1600 it's it's really as much of a prince song as it is a, a sheila e song yeah, it, I mean, it almost feels like it's a duet, and it's worth saying as well that, like, for you know, for, for Romance sixteen hundred, everything was built with the produced, uh, produced, written, and arranged by Sheila Ian Prince. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 almost Prince's, you know, it's not got the composed part in there, but it's almost the full kind of you know Prince uh, solo credit, but he's just put Sheila E's name first, right? Um, and you know, and uh, like. It, it, you can really feel, but you, like you say, you can really hear Prince on there, and you can really feel like his, you know, his involvement on the track. Right. Um, and it's it's only kind of the fact that there's a lot of kind of live percussion over the top, and you know the, the kind of EDM saxophone that it you can, it kind of distinguishes it from being a Prince track of the time. You know. You know, I, I'm not trying to downplay Sheely's contributions. I do think that you're that you're right in. I think that she she had more of an effect on the songs um, and and the the how how you know her albums were kind of shaped than I think almost any of the other proteges maybe with the exception of of Morse Day um, with the time 
might have had, you know, and, and I think you can you can see that in the way that she kind of also shaped Prince's music to a certain extent, you know, like not only was she his musical director for the Sign of the Times and the Love Sexy Tour, um, a lot of her band members, you know, constant like she took her own band members from Oakland and um, and, you know, integrated them into Prince's groups so of people like Bonnie Boyer. Uh, you know, Miko Weaver, like these are these are people that that started out playing with Sheila and then went on to play with Prince. And you know, I think she was also as uh, I, I think a couple people get kind of um, get credit for pushing Prince in more of a jazz direction. Eric Leeds is one. Lisa Coleman is another. I mean, obviously his dad was a jazz musician, so I don't know how much he needed to be pushed, really. But um, but uh, I think Sheila E. is another one that we could name. She was a, a big part of... Uh, I, I know that the second Madhouse album she she plays on. Um, and, you know, so I, I think that all of that kind of speaks to the fact that this was more of a partnership than I think, you know, certainly Apollonia 6 was. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, like... Uh, there's like you know in terms of like prince as like a you know a kind of a svengali in terms of his proteges uh, you feel that some of the others are more marionettes and you don't you, like i don't get that feeling with Sheila E. you know um and of course at one point he proposed to her and they were engaged mm. um and and then obviously you know they broke it off um so <laughs> there's a there's a period where prince was was uh was really passing out proposals uh like 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 they were you know uh lollipops but uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but i mean i you know if like uh, uh, you can find you can find sheila e telling that story right you know, all over the place if you if you just search youtube and you know sheila e engagement prints i'm sure you'll find dozens of videos where she tells that story on various talk shows um you know particularly kind of after prince's death that was like one of the stories that she kind of uh, went back to uh, you know again and again when people were kind of talking to her about prince yeah uh, which i can kind of understand like you know obviously it's you know it's a happy story um, right so you know that's why she wanted to tell it but um yeah you know so uh, like his involvement with her obviously was more than just you know a protege and i think there's you know there's other prince proteges where he also you know went out with them in fact i have a feeling that was his pretty much his dating method yeah. like, i'm gonna record an album for you uh, which i gotta say it seems like a winning method for, right you know, it's... the majority of them um you know we wouldn't have had the family were it not for the fact that prince wanted to you know go out with Susanna. so right um you know like this this kind of i'm gonna make you an album uh, seemed like a winning strategy but in the case of like sheila e you know she went on to do more albums she you know she's been a, a touring um you know percussionist for a number of different bands you know like it's not it's not like she was just you know kind of some arm candy for prince who just you know happened to have a voice that would sing on some tracks right you know, she's an actual serious musician and i think that's that's kind of what lifts her a little bit above some of the other proteges mm. um but yeah and uh and i i think i should also mention this i'll talk a bit more about this with uh um, you know, with uh, the next track that I'm going to be covering, which is The Glamorous Life. Um, but Prince seemed to, you know, put a lot of these protégés in underwear and have them just wander around in their underwear. Like, <laughs> lingerie seemed to be his, you know, he's like, okay, wear some lingerie. And I think, you know, for, for her first album, um, you know, which was The Glamorous Life, it was pretty much, you know, lingerie and a fur coat. That There you go, wander around. So I think on this album, at least she's getting to wear clothes. Right. Um, so that's that's certainly <laughs> a step up in terms of, like, the fashion 
um, you know, of of the of the kind of uh, you know for for Sheila E. Uh, it's worth saying as well. In nineteen eighty five, she also recorded the song Holly Rock, which ended up on the soundtrack for Crush Groove. Yeah, um, you know, and <laughs> and she also ended up singing on Crush Groovin. Uh, as one of the Crush Groove All Stars, along with Run DMC, uh, Curtis Blow, and the Fat Boys, uh, which we, <laughs> I don't know how you'd even explain the Fat Boys to a modern audience. Yeah. it's like it's like it such really, a weird. You had to be there, of... I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do recommend their their motion picture uh, d- debut and uh, and 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 last film also, Disorderlies, where they play uh, hospital orderlies who who you know just cause a commotion with their general uh, rambunctiousness <laughs> and it's uh there's not there's not a whole lot of plot there but uh but it's an it's an entertaining uh it's an entertaining little little mid-80s romp yeah i mean notably the uh the fat boys recorded um the the main song from nightmare on the street 4 called are you ready for freddy <laughs> which featured robert england in it, performing as freddy krueger <laughs> um, you know, I just like I, the weird. The weirdest thing is like the whole the whole thing comes from like being a reference to, um, you know, like two other rap groups and um, you know the whole there's like a whole thing where they recorded a cover version of the Twist uh, with <laughs> Ch- with Chubby Checker and it was like a big hit and. I don't know. It's, just, it's uh, the whole Fat Boys thing is such a weird, like it's such an '80s kind of weird thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, <laughs> she, Sheila E got to perform alongside them. Um, you know, on Crush Groove, and she was also, if I remember correctly, a uh, she's um, she's in uh, Crush Groove as well. Yes. Um, yeah. Singing, singing, um, I love Bizarre and uh, and Holly Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, you know, I think aside from that, uh, I don't, I don't know that uh, she he had a particularly long kind of uh, acting career um, <laughs> after 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 appearing in Crush Groove, but uh, yeah, so you know, let's talk about A Love Bizarre. You know, the, you know, uh, released as a, a single, I think, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm recalling correctly, um, and you know, um, I mean, did okay. I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't. You know, like um, in terms of, you know, like charts and stuff, um, you know, it, it actually had this weird thing where it got to number one on the, uh, the dance and disco, you know, billboard chart. Um, you know, it was only at number one for one week. Um, but at the same time, uh, Nasty Girl and Sugar Walls also did this as well. So there's like four songs that got to like the number one disco chart that were written by Prince that Prince didn't, you know, officially wasn't the artist on. So <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, it's just a weird thing that that Prince was able to do through his protégés. Um, you know, this song got to number two on the Billboard Black Singles chart, which I feel like... Um, is a bit of an odd place for it to go, but uh, you know, and it, it got to number eleven on the on the the Billboard Hot 100. And it, it was in the charts for twenty three weeks, which you know is uh, is quite a, you know almost six months. Um, yeah, you know, which is you know nothing to sniff at, but uh, you know, um, I don't know. It's just one of those things where um, around this time, you know, just just before like kind of Purple Rain came out, Prince was having a lot of success writing songs for other people. Uh, until kind of and then once purple rain hit then obviously you know he he himself became you know like um you know and kind of a, a hit maker but it's weird that he had a few hits before you know writing for other people before he actually had one for himself which i guess is why later in the 80s he wanted to do stuff like camille and have like whole albums not credited to prince just to see how well they did yeah <laughs> um you know he was a fan of writing stuff for other people and just seeing how well it did um although you know un- unlike some other stuff he actually took credit for this track 
Um, whereas, you know, other things have been credited to, you know, Alexander Nevermind and Jamie Starr and Christopher Tracy or, you know, all those different aliases. In this case, he's actually crediting himself, mm. um, you know, which makes it rare. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, like uh, I think the thing is, uh, you know, this is kind of, uh, you know, uh, a classic kind of Minneapolis sound pop song. Um, you know, elevated by the fact that you do have, you know, the the, the actual saxophone of Eddie M instead of just a, uh, you know, just a, a kind of synthesizer doing the... Because I'm guessing that when Prince recorded it, he would have had the saxophone line done as like a synthesizer. Yeah, I mean, it, could, it very easily could have been, yeah. So I feel like that is the thing. Like, And I think as well, the kind of the main hook of the song is the thing that really sells it. Like, you know, when I think of A Love Bizarre, particularly because, you know, when Prince was on tour, that kind of horn line would be played by Eric Leeds and Atlanta Bliss over other songs. <laughs> like, mm, right. you know, it was, just, it was just a common thing for them just to integrate just that one kind of line, kind of horn line into other stuff. Um, and even kind of, you know, Prince and Sheila E would occasionally just sing, you know, the first couple of lines from Love Bizarre just over other songs, um, just kind of integrating it into, into you know, stuff, you know, when they did it live, um, you know. So, um, you know, this is around the time where, you know, Prince is obviously recording a lot of stuff for other people. You know, he's done like a Time album. He's done, you know, Apollonia 6. He's, you know, he's basically recording stuff for everyone. Um, and he's already recorded one album for Sheila E. So, you know, here he is with the second album for Sheila E. And, uh, you know, the, the, as, as a song, like I said, you know, it's it's like catchy, you know, it's uh, it, it basically is, you know, uh, what you would kind of expect for, you know, 80s Prince. Although what I do love about this more than anything else is we have the kind of classic Prince counting in intro. Um, <laughs> but instead of counting in with numbers, they go A, B, A, B, C, D. And that's. <laughs> So instead of doing the like the one, you know, as has Prince had done around this time on like, um, uh, you know, on, on Raspberry Beret, where he's right. got the classic count in. Instead, they're doing it by letters. And I, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. But I just like <laughs> that. That's how Prince mixed it up is like, you know, I, I want to do a count in, but I can't do another count in at the beginning <laughs> of a song. So <laughs> let's just change it to letters, um, you know, and, and you know, it's one of these it's one of these songs where, you know, Prince kind of I don't know, he mixes um well and sheila e uh let's give her credit um you know they kind of mix this idea of you know the moon up above it shines down upon our skin um but then but then takes a turn for the whispering words the scream of outrageous sin <laughs> uh we all want the stuff that's found in our wildest dreams it gets kind of rough in the back of our limousine um and you know i i just kind of, i just kind of love how it's like talking about how the moon shines and then, and then it ends up finishing up saying oh it gets kind of rough in the back of our limousine <laughs> um you know and I, I i mean the chorus is very simple it's just that's what we are uh, we all want a love bizarre um, and i have to say i'm not 100% sure what he's talking about i mean i don't know what a love bizarre is right uh, i guess i think he's also leaving it open that people might hear it as bizarre as in the marketplace mm um like maybe there's a little bit of wordplay there you know like a, a marketplace of love um but also a love that is strange mm. you know it's so there's kind of a bit of wordplay maybe going on there in the way that the, the song is you know the way the word is pronounced in the song um but uh yeah yeah this is this is one of those songs that the uh the the lyrics i i mean if you told me to like explain what <laughs> what he's talking about here i i wouldn't be able to but he the some of the lines are just so kind of evocative and feel like uh essentially prince to me um you know the the i think especially um probably one of my favorite 
Prince lyrics is a kiss on the spine. We do things we never do. Um, you know, I, I, I just think like it's he just has a real skill for something that is so kind of simple, but also just has this kind of like world of resonances in it you know it's that that feels like that could come out of a novel you know um there's just so so much is implied in in these very simple uh lines i mean you know we'll dance on the roof make love on a bed of flowers it's like okay all right i mean if i were you i wouldn't go on the roof you know (laughs) yeah in minneapolis like (laughs) it's probably gonna be a bit nippy up there but um you know and i you know i don't know how how you know if you make love on a bed of flowers i think you're gonna end up with petals all over the place but okay prince like it sounds romantic enough doesn't it so um yeah and you know that's pretty like (laughs) that's pretty much the entire of the song like it's just really those couple of verses and then the chorus repeated endlessly (laughs) and uh, on the 12 minute version i do mean Right. It's just, yeah, it's just this hypnotic groove that just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of that's what we are. We all want to love bizarre. Repeated, uh, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, about 15 or 16 times in a row um, throughout the rest of the song. And which is not to say nothing happens in the rest of the song. You know, obviously there's some, you know, different kind of musical changes. There's some kind of little chord progressions. Um, You know, there's a a couple of saxophone solos thrown in there as well. Um, So, you know, there is stuff going on. But, you know, there's a reason why the song was turned into, like, you know, a radio edit at about 3 minutes 41. And that's because that's pretty much, you know, the point at which you've heard most of the song. You know, the the, the remaining nine minutes are just the rest of that just repeated over and over again. Um, You know, so, uh, you know, but, yeah, I I think, like, there, there are some, like... I feel like at a certain point in the 80s, Prince was kind of willing to kind of try different types of lyrics. And, um, you know, I do kind of like the, you know, the whispering words that scream of outrageous mm-hmm. sin, you know, like stuff like that. You know, like I, I, I think there is kind of certain turns of phrases that, you know, when Prince was in the 80s, he would kind of um, get very poetic. And then by the time you got to kind of like the late 90s, early 2000s, he was very concerned with boasting about how great he was. <laughs> right. So, you know, you end up with like a run of kind of like R&B and rap stuff that's just kind of about him boasting about stuff. And it, it doesn't quite feel as, you know, evergreen. Yeah. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, this this stuff here, it, it, like it, it doesn't like if you kind of change the production a little bit, you wouldn't know that the song was written in the 80s. Like it's not like the lyrics really give anything away. Right. Um, yeah, there's something. You know, it's not like he's there, there's some he's saying hit me on my page, yeah, like <laughs> right? Which is more, yeah. And he definitely did more like dated. You know, this is the '90s. You know, he's not singing about Aquanet. It's like, oh, well, this is definitely from 1985. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's something about his lyrics around the the mid '80s. You know, and I, like in these songs with Sheila E in parade um there's just this certain like mood that that he created and it's this weird kind of you know sort of european sort of uh this this kind of it's it's glamorous and like um you know it's just a just a particular aesthetic that is kind of it's it's hard to put my finger on but but it it feels like to me that's prince <laughs> and i and i and i see it in in this album and like i said in parade and in the family's album like this very specific kind of glossy um glamour that also has like a poetic 
element to it. And I, and I don't think any, like nobody else, nobody else captures that exact mood. And even Prince didn't capture that exact mood for much of his career. It's like 85, maybe 84 through 86 Prince. Like that's, this this really interesting wheelhouse that only he is in. I think some of this is kind of also you know um, you know Pe- Peggy McGreary and um, uh, Susan Rogers. I think their hand in the production is also quite helpful because um, you know the the outside input that they kind of gave. Um, I think it really helped with some of the stuff in the, the kind of mid eighties as well. Like, you know, that they kind of ended up making Prince, um, you know, and I think also Sheila did this as well, kind of pushing him in slightly different directions mm. and, you know, having it so that he's, he wasn't so kind of narrow. Um, and I, I think, you know, some of that kind of also shows in the lyrics where, you know, Prince is obviously writing this song, but maybe he's trying to think about, you know, how like how to express it in the you know through Sheila E. Right. So he's like, well, Sheila E's going to sing this song. What would sound good for Sheila E to sing about? And you know, and I think that some of that stuff kind of also shows in some of the other tracks that are you know on this album and the previous album, where he seems to be writing stuff for the perspective of you know Sheila E, and not just writing a Prince song for somebody else to kind of sing the words over. Um, you know, which maybe is what kind of elevates this a little right. bit. Right. Um, you know, but uh, for me, I would say uh, probably, uh, I mean, I don't know that I can go five out of five. Certainly not for the 12 minute version. <laughs> I don't think I can go five out of five. Um, but I would say for the single edit, you know, probably five out of five. But for the 12 minute version, maybe four out of five. Um, you know, I feel like, the, you know, I do enjoy the, the music, but at a certain point, the same maybe about eight minutes in, I think I've kind of had my fill of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, as much as I love kind of the horn line and I, I like the kind of the percussion stuff, there does come a point where I'm like, okay, I, you know, I, th- that is what I want to love bizarre, but you know, let's, let's kind of draw a line under it and let's, let's <laughs> hit the fade out and move on to something else. Like there's only so much of the song that I can kind of take before I'm like, okay, you know, but I think the single, ver- the, like the single edit of it, which is, you know, under four minutes, I think that really, you know, is it's a five, it's a clear five out of five, you know, it's a really well produced track. Um, you know, Sheila E got great vocals, you know, the percussion really elevates it and, you know, the saxophone is really good as well. Eddie M, you know, um, obviously worked with Sheila E for a number mm-hmm. of years. Um, and I guess she was lucky that he, you know, he wasn't poached by Prince. Right. <laughs> whereas, whereas a few of the other musicians were poached by Prince. Um, but Eddie M, you know, she, he kind of stuck with Sheila E. There's even like live performances in like 2012, 13, 14, where, she, you know, Eddie M is the one on saxophone. So, uh, you know, clearly they, they, you know, they must have enjoyed working with each other for, you know, these, these decades. Um, but yeah, you know, like the single edit, five out of five, anything longer than that. I have to take a point. <laughs> I I can't argue with that. Um, I I I think I don't know something something about this like groove. It just works for me, and it could go, it could go as long as it needs to, and I and I'm and I'm okay with it. Um, so I I, I have to give this an unqualified uh, five out of five. I think this this is honestly probably one of my favorite Prince songs. Um, you know, if we're taking the wide. Uh, definition of a Prince song. Um, it's definitely my favorite Sheila E song. And um, yeah, I just, uh, it, it, and I also think it's interestingly, you know, this wasn't one of his biggest hits um, by any means, but I feel like there's a, there's a solid chance that if I'm in a public place, a restaurant or, a, or, a, you know, whatever, someplace where there's music being played 
And if I hear a Prince song, there's a pretty good chance that it's going to be a Love Bazaar. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because <laughs> that horn line is such an earworm or if it's because, you know, um, it kind of just goes on for 12 minutes in the background. And, you know, it's like it's a it's very well suited for like being someplace and not really necessarily listening actively to the music. You know, it's it's like incidental. It's like background music, you know. Um, but so, yeah, I don't know why I hear it as much as I do, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, I, I think that maybe kind of speaks to its, its, its popularity a little bit. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a great song. Um, I can understand, you know, maybe it could have faded out a little bit earlier, but, uh, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take the 12 minute version. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. And this is a song that, you know, uh, Sheila E obviously has played live, you know, since it was released, um, you know, she's, she's played it with Prince whenever she's toured with Prince, um, you know, including, you know, through the eight years, um, you know, most of the two thousands and, uh, you know, the most, the, like kind of the final performance that she did with Prince was a, uh, a performance on the 26th of March, uh, 2016. So, you know, a mere month before his yeah. death. Um, where they did like a, a set where they just played like a few songs and Love Bizarre was amongst it, uh, along with Sexy Dancer, which I think is like a really odd wow, choice for a yeah. song. But I would love to hear Sheila E. play on Sexy Dancer. That would be actually, that sounds great. <laughs> so uh, apparently this, this, like, this, this wasn't really like a full set, um, but it was just like an after show thing that, you know, um, that kind of start. <laughs> the doors apparently opened at 10 and Prince finished performing at 4.15 in the morning. Um, you know, so, so uh, I don't, I, I always, I always like that, you know, like probably after hours of waiting, Prince comes on and does like a half yeah. hour set, like at three in the morning. Um, but yeah, you know, basically it was just Prince and a keyboard and, you know, a couple of other people on stage and they just kind of, you know, performed, you know, a few songs, you know, basically it doesn't feel like it was a proper gig, but rather it was just Prince, you know, on stage, just kind of, you know, performing a few songs for some people in the, in the audience. Um, and, you know, I Love Bazaar was one of them. So, you know, almost 30 years after it was released, Prince was still, you know, performing the song, right. um, you know. And uh, funny enough, the, Sheila E has also performed it as a member of the uh, as Ringo Starr's All-Star Band. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and there's been more than there's a, there's a number of different uh, Sheila E songs that Ringo Starr's band has performed. <laughs> Obviously, she sings the vocals it, like Ringo Starr doesn't sing. The Sadly, song. yeah, um, I, w- I would love to hear Ringo sing the uh the song about the the pride and joy of the of the ivory tower or whatever that uh that incredibly phallic <laughs> <Yeah>. references <laughs> yeah so you know ringo never sung it but he you know his all-star band have covered it along with sheilery obviously you know on percussion or you know with ringo on drums you know makes makes sense <laughs> um so you know i i mean it, it is like one of those kind of like iconic you know sheila e songs you know like uh, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of album tracks that she did that are maybe not quite as memorable, but this is, you know, this is one of those times where it feels like Prince wrote a single right. and was like, you know, this is going to be a hit and, you know, Sheila E was the one to record right. it. Um, you know, so I felt like we said about as much as we can about Love Bazaar. So let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug? Sure. There? So I have my own uh, chronological Prince project. Um, it's mostly a blog although occasionally i also do podcasts as well you can find both the blog and the podcast at uh prince songs.org and you can find us on facebook at prince track by track or on twitter at prince podcast or you can email us not sure i would at prince track by track at gmail.com thanks so much Paul, for being my guest is zachary oh thank you for having me and otherwise <laughs>